Hey folks, welcome to the Inside Line F1 podcast once again for the Japanese GP preview. And this weekend, it just feels nice and warm once again because Formula One returns to Japan after 2019 for the first time. Actually, it, it feels far too long not to come to a place like this one. But it's incredible to, to see the amount of fans that we're going to have here and just the quality of fans as well. And that is one of the major things that we are going to talk about in this episode. But before we get to it, let's actually introduce ourselves. Firstly, my name is Somal Arora. I'm the host of the Driving Force on Disney Plus Hotstar. And as always, I've got Kunal Shah, the former marketing head of the Force India F1 team, with me, who's also an FIA accredited journalist with the Via Play Network. And this weekend, Kunal, the first thing that I really, really want to see is just to see what kind of funny hats or the caps or even for that matter the masks that the Japanese fans come up with because I just saw a picture on the internet today which which basically was of a couple of Japanese fans with a face mask with a front wing attached on it one of AlphaTauri and one of Red Bull Racing and these guys are properly creative just what could we have next DRS masks or DRS hats I think we have seen a DRS hat or a DRS cap. You press a button and, you know, one of those cap uh, flaps uh, open up or something like that. But yes, Formula One is back in Japan, in, in Suzuka. And, you know, history of Japan, history of Suzuka in Formula One is so epic. We've had some great duels out here. 11 times in history has a title been sealed At Suzuka, it could be the 12th this weekend if Max Verstappen uh, finishes, uh, you know, 112 points ahead of Perez and Charles Leclerc. Of course, there are lots of permutations, lots of combinations. He needs to win with the fastest lap and somebody else needs to do something else. But let's see, 112, that's the magic number this weekend. And if he is winning, I hope that no other rival team purposely pits their driver a couple of laps to the end to take the fastest lap point away. Could Mercedes do that just to have some fun with Red Bull and Honda at Honda's home race, also sponsored by Honda, even though Red Bull is no longer powered officially by a Honda. So lots of, you know, lots of curveballs out there. But that's true. You know, Honda is no longer directly involved in the sport, even though they're going to have more prominent branding to start with from this weekend itself. And Samuel, I just realized you said Formula One is back since 2019. That's three years. That's more than 20% of your life ago, if you were to put it in absolute numbers. Holy wow. That's actually true. Yeah, I, I don't remember the last time I actually woke up early in the morning here in India and said, right, it's time for a Sunday morning race because it's been so long for that. But the other thing I'm very curious about, especially on the subject of the hats, is to see if the fans actually come up with a Haas front wing hat as well, with a Kevin Magnussen bent uh, front wing end plate of sorts. And if the FIA doesn't really allow them to enter and says, okay, black and orange flag, go back home and change your hats and come back at something. But otherwise as well, on the subject of Honda, their logos will reappear this weekend on the Red Bull and the Alpha Tauri. Apparently, they're going to do so in 2023 as well. And now, Kunal, there are rumors that they might end up coming back to Formula One in 2026 to partner up with Red Bull again. It's, I read it somewhere on the, Twitter, on the internet, but it's like they only leave just to come back to Formula One. Well, just what is it all about? Can't they, can't they just stay there in peace? It kind of reminds me of Ross and Rachel from Friends, where they're sometimes on a break and then they're not, and then they are, then they're not. What is Honda doing? There's a very good chance that when they actually return in 26, 
the dominance that Red Bull is showing may not last because that's also what's happened with Honda's returns in the last couple of times, especially with the whole McLaren Honda thing, right? But my mind still goes to the Japanese fans, you know, their 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 cap, their mask designs, as you call it, their t-shirts, their merchandise is beyond any comparison any fan in europe any fan in america now i know a lot of listeners of ours based in these markets will suddenly be upset saying oh my god did you just compare me against a japanese fan who probably doesn't even listen to our podcast because we're in english but japan is still one of the top 10 markets for us either way the the point is that uh, you know the japanese fan very well entrenched in the history of the sport uh they're very they, they respect formula one they 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 are the types who actually go and clean the grandstands after the race has gotten over so very different set of fans that will sort of get the opportunity to engage in formula one after uh you know a wait of a fairly number of years a fair number of years as well so i'm really excited that formula one's going back I'm going to have most of the Sunday to myself, which also then means that the the Japanese review of of our epi- of our channel on the Inside Line F1 podcast could actually come out on the Sunday Samuel if we were to match all our schedules together. But that also reminds me, guys, we're getting a lot of love on social media. Uh, our watch alongs were hugely popular and successful. This is a bumper month for us. We've had Steve Slater. We've got Peter Winsor coming up after Japan. We've got Bob Barsha coming up just before America as well. So thank you for all your listens. Thank you for your continued patronage. And please remember to give us a review and a rating on whatever app it is that you tune in from. We'd absolutely love that. Indeed, yeah. It, it's, it just feels so amazing to listen to all your feedback. Sometimes the good, sometimes the bad. But the fact that you've taken out time for us just makes us feel so good. And please continue to do so, folks. Thank you for all of that. And I hope you also come up with more reviews. And we've got a big question from one of our dear listeners that we're also going to be answering in a couple of minutes' time. But firstly, there's other things to talk about the Japanese fans too and their merchandise. I'm just confused, Kunal. What color will they wear this time? Will it be blue and red for Red Bull Racing and Honda? Will it be white and blue for the home hero Yuki Tsunoda? Or just green because they love Sebastian Vettel in general? I'm, I'm, I'm a bit confused about that. I'm pretty sure it's going to be Yuki Tsunoda flavor all the time. It's the first time that he's going to have a home race. And that in itself is going to sort of make it very, very special. And imagine, you know, you have a home race, uh, you know, in the land of the rising sun at the epic Suzuka Grand Prix. And while I was doing my research, something interesting that I found was, uh, I'm going to read out the name, John Hugenholtz. And I'm pretty sure uh, our listeners from the Netherlands, especially Gas, will probably write in and tell me the actual pronunciation in Dutch. but the same designer who designed Sun Food actually designed Suzuka. And that's probably why the drivers call it such a challenging circuit and a circuit that they absolutely love. And imagine, I mean, this is probably why we also love both the circuits. And a designer who I really wish Herman Tilke is able to learn from, given all the epic circuits that, you know, uh, John Hugenholz actually designed. And, you know, Suzuka, old school circuit, one of those circuits where, you know, as soon as the drivers are going to be out of the car on Friday, they will be asked, what do you think of driving here? Everybody's going to praise the circuit. They're all going to talk of the first uh, 
sector because you know that sector is so fast and flowy the whole circuit you know the, the driver truly makes a difference like i said the fans are vastly knowledgeable you know and at this circuit bravery is generally rewarded and the mistakes actually gets punished goes punished as well so lots of you know high risk high reward thing and one of the things mercedes actually revealed in their uh, race preview sommel which really had me interested is the first corner doesn't actually require any braking on entry and in qualifying the drivers don't generally hit the brakes until it's you know close to cornering and that's at about 5g so it generates some of the highest steering wheel torques of the season right and it doesn't stop here it gets even more interesting that the steering wheel is continuously moving during the lap and most of all in the first sector like from turn 1 till the exit of turn 7 the drivers are constantly cornering for around 2 kilometers of the lap Can you imagine that? That's actually so right because even after the spoon curve, the, the straight isn't exactly a hundred percent straight because you've got the one thirty R coming in flat out over there as well. If you think about it, it's the perfect circuit. There's nothing else that's really missing about it, right? Okay, maybe you might just say, "Oh well, we need little more, little more gravel on the exit of some corners here and there," but we've got so much of it at Suzuka as well. Oh, we need an eight. eight ball kind of thing or maybe a, a figure of eight we've got that as well fast corners yes slow ones yes and also history and incredible fans it it seems like a very easy sell to anybody but there's been one thing i'm very very confused about the spoon curve uh, I, i don't get it why have commentators never called a crash at a spoon curve i mean a crash involving two cars at a spoon curve being called something as or oh, some driver has been spooned by somebody else it is is a pretty tough thing to say on the broadcast but I'm sure they can try. No, okay, they've not one. said it. But but my commentator friend and co-host Samuel Arora has definitely said it now on the Inside Line F1 podcast. This is why we should have had a race watch along for Japan. It just so happens that it's so early in some of our key markets that we were like, we'd rather sleep in and watch it in bed, even though I'll be in the broadcast studio. But I'm still going to stick to Suzuka. You know, qualifying lap at Suzuka is going to be so epic. I mean, it's a technical track. uh you know you need to have flow you need to have momentum because like i said you know most corners are interconnected so if you make a mistake at one it will impact the next couple of corners uh, you know that lie in the sequence in itself so uh you know it's it's going to be another like i said a massive driver challenge a very different challenge to the to what the drivers actually had at singapore which was more physical here it's a more technical challenge in itself and you know sticking more uh, to suzuka it's again you know very japanese in nature it's a it's an it's an anti clockwise and a clockwise circuit in itself because of the figure of eight and the tunnel that sort of they have right uh, so it's like a scalatrix in real life if i if i may put it that way and there are almost an equal number of right handers to equal number of left handers i think there are 10 right and eight left which also means that tire wear is also fairly balanced because there's a balanced number of corners out there so a very japanese uh, in nature circuit that's designed for japan you know if if you would put it that way it's just amazing and it it's a kid's dream right suzuka if you look at the map i mean i as a kid always used to wonder oh well what if we had a circuit that goes on top of each other but suzuka manages manages it so easily it, it doesn't even feel fascinating because it's built so early on and built so well actually but 
on the subject of all the fans this weekend and if you're someone listening in from the east coast of the US i'm so sorry for you because i think at 3 o'clock in the night that's when all the celebrations might end up beginning so what do you do at that stage do you stay up or wait for the sunrise to come up do you sleep suddenly or actually what do you do the night before do you actually wake up at 1 o'clock or do you stay up till 1 o'clock and then watch the entire race I think it's a good weekend for Red Bull to actually sell a lot of energy drinks because a lot of Formula One fans would love to see Max Verstappen potentially winning and just just ensuing among a Schumacher esque celebration, isn't it, Kunal? Because I suppose when he won the World Championship back over here, the pictures from that celebration are still kind of world famous or infamous, if you could call it that way, because people love it, but nobody wants to discuss it in the public eye per se. <laughs> and like i said at the start of the show 11 times that a title has been sealed at suzuka but you know normally sealing a title is something i relate to with brazil because at least in my mind lots of them have been sealed that in brazil as well and of course last year abu dhabi controversially famous etc by the way that reminds me the fia was expected to make a statement around the financial regulations breach on Wednesday which was literally when we recorded this episode before it's out on the Thursday which is our normal schedule Somil and I decided to wait a couple of hours and then a couple of hours and still then a couple of hours with the hope that the FIA actually makes a decision or a, or, or maybe they made a decision but they're framing the you know the statement and legally correct and so on and then finally we said you know what screw it we'll just record and we'll see what happens with the whole financial regulations but but yeah we were actually waiting for those uh, that that set of news to come in as well and going back to what you said about Verstappen him winning the title you know it's only a matter of time uh, like i said 112 points is what he's he's sort of going to do uh, he's going to need um, some of the key questions uh, who'll get qualifying i mean if Charles Leclerc gets pole ahead of Verstappen this season he would have actually had more poles in 22 in 2022 by default even if Max sort of gets pole in all the races after Japan so that's going to be a head to head battle between Charles and Max if Charles wants to be Mr Saturday while Max has been Mr Sunday so that's going to be interesting uh one of the other things for me is can Checo Perez continue uh his momentum from singapore and you know he he said something very interesting after singapore he said the media is very critical everybody thinks that i need to be on the podium in every race just because i race a red bull racing car but hey you know to me checo that's the truth because that is what max verstappen is able to do time and time again unless he's underfueled or unless he's you know had had a, had a power unit issue or something so uh and of course another caveat here is max is driving a different red bull racing car to checo perez but the truth is if you're racing a red bull you better have more spots on the podium than off it that's so true and this weekend will be such a big test for sergio perez because at the end of the day we just all want to know was it actually a, a one off or is it just a continued turn of form for Sergio Perez right now and many people say okay he's a street circuit expert so you can only expect things like that from him over there but wouldn't it be amazing to see Sergio Perez actually let's not say challenge max but at least beat all the ferraris once again i mean i'm really curious to see how that plays out this weekend as well because it's such an important race weekend for him in his fight for second place in the world championship because remember now kunal i think that's the most prestigious battle that's going on in formula 1 right now barring of course alpine versus mclaren which we should come to in a little bit but 
Firstly, I want to just keep on with the subject of the FIA because one of our very dear listeners, Karthik, has come up with a great question on Twitter and he's asked, why are drivers to follow the safety car closely as long as everyone has caught up with the safety car in the end? The point is, penalties apply for gaining an unfair advantage or causing unsafe conditions. Does this apply here in the case of Sergio Perez and his Singapore GP penalty? So, I, I suppose, Kunal, it's a precautionary approach, isn't it, by the FIA, just to ensure that drivers sometimes don't end up hitting the safety cars? Because I think we've seen that in other racing championships, right? Yes, and we have to remember the safety car actually is brought into the race to neutralize uh, whatever dangers on track, to control that. And then they also want to neutralize the race where the race resumes as a bunch. So when what happens is when the safety car is leading and is is expecting the cars to follow within 10 car lengths, uh, it is so that the FIA is able to control uh, the safety on track at that moment as well. Because when there's a safety car on track, it's usually that there are marshals or recovery vehicles or whatever that is also doing the round. So they bunch up the track and then they move uh, slowly around the track together so that it is more predictable for those who are actually working on clearing the track for the next session of racing to resume. So that's why it is critical for the FIA to see how uh, to to ensure that a 10 10 or car length or lesser is maintained. Otherwise, imagine this, the safety cars on track and the track is still littered with Formula One cars all around. And then uh, the the recovery that's happening on track, whether it's to the barriers or to a car or anything, uh, cannot happen at a sustained pace in itself, if, if, you, if I'm making any sense out here. So the safety car and the gaps are primarily for a safety point of view. Yeah, they need a choo-choo train, essentially, <laughs> in easy terms, that is. But yeah, crazy how Sergio Perez got the penalty and how he was actually able to ensure that it didn't matter at the end. But we've spoken about that enough in our Singapore GP review episode, which you can also check out. But on the subject of other things in Suzuka, we should talk about Ferrari very briefly, Kunal, because they claim that their recent slump is not a result of the new technical directive that's been issued by the FIA since the Belgian Grand Prix. I am curious, because we've seen similar tracks earlier on the season where Ferrari have been incredible. Yes, Red Bull Racing have pulled out a few big rabbits out of their hat in terms of development, but Ferrari can't suddenly be that slow and the TD can't have no effect at all, right? There's got to be some influence of it, but... Will their slump continue this weekend is, I think, the major thing we have to track for them. Because right now, they're in the midst of a major battle for P2 in the championship with Sergio Perez. And as it stands, momentum is just barely on their side. I I, I can't quite tell if they will even be competitive this weekend because their performance has been so uh, topsy-turvy, if that's the right term for it. To me, uh, you know, sorry, Ferrari's performance has not really taken a beating what's taken a beating is the tire wear so you know leading up if you remember austria you know we had a sprint race out there charles leclerc was very confident on saturday that uh you know they would be able to outpace uh outpace uh, red bull purely on tire performance so that where the technical directive has impacted ferrari especially if you were to ask the likes of Giorgio piola and read the stuff that he and mark hughes normally end up writing which is a lot of technical information the assumption is that it's impacted ferrari's tire wear and they've become front limited is is probably one of the reasons where they've lost some performance right which like you rightly said you know for the first time since miami we actually had two 
Ferraris on the podium. And Miami was a very long time ago. Between Miami and now, Leclerc has had, what, seven or eight poles, which in itself is a telling statistic that they have a quick car on Saturday. They've just not been able to translate the pace and strategy to make it work on a Sunday. And this is the story of 2022. And Charles Leclerc, despite all his heroics on the Saturday, he's looking for his fourth consecutive podium this weekend. And guess what? If he gets his fourth consecutive podium, it will still only match his career best podium streak, which was, I think, in 2019 when we when he had four consecutive podiums. So that's just so telling. And will Mercedes catch up? Should they catch up? I mean, you know, it's a great battle in Singapore. Mercedes, of course, lost a lot of ground to Ferrari, but can they strike back? And, you know, the momentum, I remember seeing uh, this was in still Sanford. Uh, on an average, Mercedes was scoring more points after Australia uh, till Sandfoot all the way. I'm sure Singapore has skewed those numbers, so to say, but I'm going to try and tweet them out at some point. But imagine this, Mercedes have not won a race yet, but they are still in contention to finish P2. And what face palm or how much of a face palm moment would it be for Ferrari if they were to have the quickest car? let alone finishing first in the championship, but are even beaten to second in the championship by a team that eventually may not score a win in the season at all. That'll be the ultimate Ferrari moment, to put it very simply. Incredible how the season is going on for them. But many claim that the best chance for Mercedes to win has actually gone behind them in terms of Singapore. And I'm not sure about this because sometimes it's hard to really make conclusions out of a statement like that one. I suppose we've only got to wait and see how things play out, right? But if you think about it, it's the first terrible weekend that Mercedes have had so far this year. And that is incredible. After so many races, it's the first time Mercedes have actually had a proper howler of a weekend. That's incredible to see how consistent they are. Let's get to another very consistent person. We now have the stats preview by F1 Stats Guru. And let's just have a better idea about what the numbers have to say about the Japanese GP. Hey folks, it's time to do the stats preview of the Japanese Grand Prix. My name is Sundaram, also known as the F1 Stats Guru. Let's talk numbers. Now there are clockwise and anti-clockwise circuits in Formula 1. And then there's the Suzuka circuit. The only figure of 8 track in the sport, which means that the circuit runs both clockwise and anti-clockwise. Interesting, isn't it? The biggest question, however, will be if Max Verstappen can clinch the title in Japan, the home of their actual Indian supplier, Honda. If you didn't know already, the Suzuka circuit also belongs to Honda, who initially built this venue as a test track. Now, there are quite a few permutations and combinations through which Verstappen can win the championship. But if he does, it'll make him the second youngest double world champion in Formula 1 at the age of 25 years. The youngest is, of course, Sebastian Vettel, who still holds on to that record. The last three decades, only thrice as a driver won at Suzuka when starting further back than the front row. Raikkonen won from 17th in 2005, that was a brilliant race by the way. Alonso won from 5th in 2006 and Valtteri Bottas won the last Japanese Grand Prix from 3rd on the grid in 2019. Now although the races at this venue seem to favour the front runners, there's plenty of overtaking on offer. The Suzuka circuit sees an average of 32 overtakes per race which is on the higher end of the spectrum. And the last stat of the day, and one which probably Ferrari fans wouldn't want to listen to, is that only three Ferrari drivers have won at Suzuka. Gerhard Berger, Michael Schumacher and Rubens Barrichello. The last of those wins came back in 2004, almost two decades ago. 
Will the clerk or science add their names to this list on Sunday? We'll have to wait and find out. Well, that was the stats preview. I hope you guys enjoyed it. You can find more such interesting stats and facts on my Twitter and Instagram pages under the name F1 Stats Group. I'll see you guys later. Hey folks, welcome back into the Inside Line F1 podcast. The last voice you heard was that of F1 Stats Guru who was back here with his stats preview as usual and it's incredible to hear him and the kind of numbers that he's got in here. But we've got to we've got to very quickly talk about Yuki Tsunoda, the home hero as well. Because yes, while there may be a more intense and a more tricky battle between McLaren and Alpine going on at the top of the midfield, where the two of them are actually just separated by four points right now with McLaren leading, this guy is actually in his home race. And I think now it's the first time ever that he's going to get so much of attention in a race weekend, barring Bahrain 2021. It really is high time to deliver because he's got the contract, but the performances are, I don't know, stuck in Japan, perhaps? Maybe it's the right time to come and reclaim them? Absolutely. Maybe he's going to unlock them, you know, home uh, home base, fan power, uh, all of that. He made a silly driver error in Singapore uh, in the wet conditions. So he, he, of course, will want to undo that error. He's never driven in Suzuka in a Formula One car, but he's driven here several times before in Formula Four is what he claims. And I believe he he has driven or done a demo run in an F1 car here, I recollect. But yeah, when Yuki Tsunoda was asked about Suzuka, one thing he really wanted to say, which he left till the very end was, and finally, a very important point, I get to eat Japanese food for a whole week when I get to race in Suzuka. So that's what it's going to be like. But yeah, I would love to see uh, what Yuki is able to pull out, what Alpha Tauri is able to pull out. Uh, Pierre Gasly had top seven starts for the first time in 2022, Monza and Singapore back-to-back. So that's something to look forward to. And, you know, Saturday qualifying, while it's great uh, to watch it from a driver's point of view, let's remember uh, you can overtake in Suzuka. There is one DRS zone along with 130R overtaking into the chicane to follow and and so on. Uh, There's the hairpin as well uh, and some beautiful corners out there. But uh, qualifying is critical because front row starts have actually seen the most wins in recent times. And in fact, uh, in 15 out of the 31 races at Suzuka, Pole has claimed victory and the front row has actually won 26 out of 31 times. And in 2019, it was Valtteri Bottas who won here from P3. So qualifying is going to be key. I know I'm going to ask you for predictions. You're still going to pick Carlos Sainz. I think... I'm going to pick Max Verstappen for the win. But I genuinely think Mercedes is going to pit one of their drivers towards the end to take the fastest lap of the race away, just so that Max doesn't win in uh, Japan. And the, the title is sort of carried forward to America, which might not be a bad thing altogether, given how F1 absolutely loves the American fans. And also for, you know, the television broadcasters in Europe. I mean, imagine crowning a world champion, especially in the Netherlands at, you know, 8.30 in the morning on a Sunday. Not ideal because you can't quite say, oh, hey, Max has won the world championship. Let's go and have breakfast. That's not ideal, right? You probably want to see that happen in some place like the US. But let's wait and see how things play out. As for predictions, my heart will always say Carlos signs. But my mind actually has to go for Max this time out as well. But let's wait and see how it goes out this time. And folks, as we mentioned early on, 
in case you liked our podcast in case you didn't like our podcast please feel free to leave a good rating and a review as well and before we go actually somil here is finally an update that's come from the FIA which i'm going to be reading it's just flashed on my screams uh, screen so i'm going to i'm going to read that out and frankly it has been a bit of an anti climax why because after saying last week in the build up to singapore that we will have more information on the 5th of october the FIA have now said that it's actually a very complicated process and that they will actually have an update on the 10th of october which is the monday after suzuka which also means that the FIA is now working in the multiples of 5 so if they don't reveal something on the 10th it's going to be on the 15th of october <laughs> so it's just like every one of us when trying to wake up in the morning to an alarm 65 610 615 620 and then by the time it's actually november the 21st or, or no not 21st right? because that's on a multiple of 5 i don't know november the 25th they'll say oh yeah now we have an update nothing's happened nobody has breached it it's just an anti climax but hey at least it's something at least they're honest about it it's just like they're buying time in this case but I suppose we'll have to buy some time as well because folks now we'll be seeing you hopefully on Sunday itself for the Japanese GP race review and in case you enjoy this episode please forget please don't forget to actually leave a good rating it'll not be ideal if you forget to but also don't forget to join us on Sunday for the race review as well enjoy the weekend folks and have a great time bye bye